It has been a long, long lockdown here in Toronto area and Peel and much of the province of Ontario. And over the course of the last year and a bit, many people have just decided that what they're going to do to be able to calm themselves down is they're going to become birders. They're going to be into birding. And that has just exploded in popularity. And I can tell you recently, Toronto is named one of Canada's four bird-friendly cities by the group Nature Canada. And, you know, this time of year you can see all kinds of migratory birds heading back into our area. If you've ever spent any time down at Tommy Thompson uh, Park down there, the nature preserve down there, it is remarkable the kinds of migratory birds that you can see. But those birds are threatened. In fact, Canada's wild bird population is estimated to have declined by more than 12% in the last 45 years. I am so excited to talk to my next guest, who's a best-selling author, whose new book, A World on the Wing, has just been widely praised. It's got a great review in the New York Times, and it is just an incredible story about migratory birds and what is happening above our heads as those birds fly over. I'm pleased to welcome to the program Scott Widensall. Welcome, Scott. Where where have we reached you? Um, I'm, at, I'm at home in Milton, New Hampshire right now, Ellen. I see. And what what's going on in, I guess you're relatively in the same sort of area of the world as we are. What's going on with migratory birds and species right now in our area? Well, it's it is the you know the height of the spring migration right now. Um, every every night when there's a, a bit of a south breeze um, after dark, there are literally hundreds of millions of migratory birds moving across North America, moving moving farther and farther north. I, the other evening, I was looking at uh, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's Birdcast website, which actually gives you real time Doppler radar. Um, you know, sort of, sort of information on how many birds are aloft in the night skies over the U.S. And there were almost half a billion birds that night migrating over the U.S. Unfortunately, because of the way Canada's radar system is, it's, not, it's a little harder to, to calculate how many birds are flying over the skies of Canada. But this time of the year, there are just hundreds of millions of birds in movement, in migration, and showing up everywhere. That's the great thing about, uh, about bird migration at this time of the year. It's funny, you know, we think of bird migration of, you know, likely as, you know, the Canada geese flying overhead. But if we could see in the night sky, it would be, what would we see? Well, that's, that's exactly right, because most birds migrate after dark, even the ones that are normally active in the daytime, you know, warblers and sparrows and tanagers and orioles and things like that. And then the night sky is cooler and calmer and moister and there's fewer there's fewer predators, so it's a it's a safer environment in which they could fly. But yeah, if we could if we could strip away the night sky and see what's up there, I think it would be one of the greatest natural spectacles on Earth. But of course, they come down they come down to Earth by morning, and the great thing about this time of the year is no, kind of no matter where you are, migration brings the world to your backyard. Birds that spent the winter in South America or the Caribbean or the highlands of Mexico, um, you know, on their way to you know the far reaches of the uh, of the Canadian Arctic are are passing through are passing through backyards all across Canada right now. And so, as uh, as you say, a lot of people last year during the pandemic, during these um, you know interminable lockdowns, recognized that even though they couldn't travel, um, the world of migratory birds were you know were bringing the globe to them in a, in a very real sense. You talked about birds, you know, heading back north 
now. Um, we, we think of migratory birds as, you know, snowbirds, as, as those that are escaping the cold Canadian winter. Uh, do birds migrate for other reasons other than escaping cold temperatures? Yeah, I mean, actually, birds can tolerate the worst weather the planet can throw at them. I mean, think about emperor penguins in the middle of the Antarctic winter nesting. Um, it's not really the cold that drives them it's so much as the fact that most of the, the, the groups of birds that are highly migratory depend on seasonally available food supplies like insects or fruit or nectar. You know, there's, there are plenty of insects available in the forests of Canada in the wintertime, and we've got birds like chickadees and kinglets and creepers that spend the entire winter there. But there are not enough insects for the, you know, the billions of insect-eating birds that, that throng back into the forest in the summertime. And, you know, you're right. You know, we think of these as northern birds that take kind of the short little winter vacation south and then come back where they belong. But actually, these birds spend the majority of their lives a- away from the breeding grounds, either in migration or on their wintering grounds, um, often in the, in the tropics. These are inherently tropical birds that are basically taking a short little summer vacation, that's not much of a, it's a working vacation, of course, back up north where they can come in for a couple of months, breed, have their babies, and then, and then in, in many respects, head back where they belong. You've written a lot of books about birds and migratory birds, but this book is different because we've got different technology now that allows us to understand what migratory birds are, are doing better. Yeah, and this is one of the areas that I've been most involved in directly. Um, I've really been privileged to work with a lot of this new tracking technology. You know, it used to be that the only birds that we could really follow across any distance were, you know, like the size of a good-sized raptor or or, or, or a duck that were big enough to, to handle, you know, a, you know, like a 30-gram satellite transmitter. Well, now we've got um, what's known as nanotag technology, you know, tiny little transmitters that are a fraction of a fraction of a gram and this is a, uh, a tracking technology that Birds Canada has been spearheading, what's known as the MODIS Wildlife Tracking Network, with automated receiver stations up and down the Western Hemisphere, allowing us to follow even the smallest migrants, not just small birds like, like warblers and hummingbirds, but actually migratory insects like monarch butterflies and migratory dragonflies. Um, this, this revolution in tracking technology is giving us kind of a, a minute-to-minute, almost second-by-second look into the lives of many of these migratory birds. And, and your, your book also, I'm uh, speaking with uh, Scott uh, Widensall, whose uh, new book is A World on a Wing. It, it also has some inc- pretty incredible stuff in there that birds can actually see the Earth's <laughs> gravitational grid, like, a, like the gravitational lines on the, uh, in, in, in the air. Well, not so much the gravitational field, but the, the, the birds can birds apparently can see the Earth's magnetic field, um, and they're using a, a weird form of quantum physics known as quantum entanglement. Which, because I am not a, a quantum physicist, <laughs> I'm not going to a, attempt to try to explain. But basically, um, you know, the, the same quantum effect that is probably going to provide unhackable quantum computers and um, potentially faster than light communication is, is is operating in the eye of migratory birds as they're flying through the night sky, allowing them to see the Earth's magnetic field and use it for their orientation and navigation. Yeah, we're, we're discovering that birds, birds are alive to realms of uh, sensory realms that we're blind, deaf, and dumb to. They can hear extremely low-frequency sound waves. See, many seabirds can actually smell their way home across thousands of miles of, of ocean. Um, you know, birds birds can see and hear and feel things that that, that we can't really can just barely comprehend. 
you know, we, we marvel at the, the birds we see in our, our backyards as they migrate through. Um, but some of them are slackers compared to some of the birds that you detail in your book. There, there's one in the Canadian Arctic that you, you talk about. And I, I, I'm, is it a wibril? Is that the bird? Yeah. Oh, yeah, wimbrels. Oh, and in fact, I, I was just down on the coast of South Carolina less than a week ago watching thousands of wimbrels that are staging up there. They've, these are birds. It's just a, a large shorebird about the size of a small duck with a very long down-curved bill. They winter in South America and the islands of the Lesser Antilles. They breed up in the Northwest Territories, up at like the, the mouth of the Mackenzie River. Um, and they make these extraordinary migrations. And in fact, you mentioned Tommy Thompson Park. It, these birds from the from the southeastern coast of the U.S. are going to take off on a nonstop flight all the way up to the Canadian Arctic. And there are folks that will be waiting um, along the north shore of Lake Ontario, waiting for those wimbrels that took off from South Carolina or North Carolina or Virginia as they're as they're passing over the lake, not stopping, continuing all their way north until they get up into the Canadian Arctic to breed. And then when they head south in the fall, many of those birds will make a nonstop trip from the central Canadian Arctic and subarctic, out over the western Atlantic, they will actually intentionally fly into tropical storms and hurricanes because the wind, when they get out the other side, is a tremendous tailwind on their way down to uh, to South America. So, and and, and um, even among shorebirds, that's amazing. But that's not even the most remarkable um, of the long distance migrants among um, uh, migratory routes among among shorebirds. What happens to the bird that, you know, it's unable, it doesn't eat, it doesn't, you know, it has no sustenance for for all of that time? What actually happens to the, the bird's body? Well, of course, before they take off, they bulk up tremendously in fat. In fact, some of these migratory shorebirds are more than 55% fat by the time they take off. So they've, they've <laughs> loaded their gas style. tanks. <laughs> If, if if they were getting if they were burning gasoline instead of instead of fat and I, I can't do the kilometers per per gallon <laughs> uh, transition here but it'd be about seven hundred and twenty thousand miles to the gallon um, but nevertheless they 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 run the risk of running out of fuel and so um, they will actually start catabolizing some of their muscle mass some of their internal organs to make these flights so basically these birds are going from like a sumo wrestler before they take off to the skinniest runway model, you know, that you've ever seen, back to a sumo wrestler and do this again and again during the course of, well, in some cases with wimbrels, you know, up to 25 or 30 years. I mean, that kind of yo-yo dieting would kill a human. It's really bad for our health. But birds seem to be immune to the kind of um, deleterious medical effects that you get from that kind of, you know, you know, becoming grossly obese and then, you know, extremely emaciated and back again. They, they just do that. They do that annually with, with no harm. I'm speaking with uh, Scott Widensall, and his new book is World on the Wing, all about migratory birds. Um, what does the population, the current population of migratory birds around the world, tell us about climate change? Well, I mean, migratory birds are, are, are showing the effects of climate change. In fact, when I talk to people who are skeptical about whether climate change is real, I tell them, I don't really care what you think. The birds already recognize the climate is changing. And in some cases, they've been able to shift and adapt, especially short-distance migrants, the ones that, you know, for example, you know, breed in, breed in Ontario during the summer, but winter in the southern United States. You know, they, they're close enough to their breeding grounds that they can tell whether it's an unusually warm early spring or an unusually cold late winter with, you know, cold front after cold front. 
But the birds that travel the longest distances, those that are coming back from the tropics or from you know the southern tip of South America, their their timing is based on their internal circadian rhythms and their genetic coding. You know, migration is primarily a genetically encoded instinctive behavior. And those birds, you know, are coming back when they have always come back, you know, on, on average every year, but spring is getting earlier and earlier. And so the birds are increasingly out of out of sync with the seasons. And that is one of the most serious consequences, I think, in, in the future, that eventually they will be so far out of sync that the, you know, the insects and, and other things that they need in order to survive um, are, are simply not going to be available for them at the right times of the year in the numbers and quantities that they need in order to raise their chicks. And we're starting to see that in a few places. We're seeing that in parts of the eastern and central Canadian Arctic with many species of migratory shorebirds. And we're seeing that in Europe with um, once common species like pied flycatchers that have gotten so far out of sync with the seasons that their populations are starting to collapse. Haven't seen that for the most part in North America yet. But, um, you know, we as migratory bird conservationists are concerned about it. Well, it's an absolutely fascinating book, Scott, uh, and just, uh, I think, for for a lot of us, you know, a a way to take our minds off the the troubles of of COVID-19 and, uh, as you say, have the world come to us in terms of migratory birds. Thank you again for coming on today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Alan. That is author Scott Widensall in his new book, is a world on the wing, the global odyssey of migratory birds.